millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello. You're listening to BFN. This is the podcast about infertility, IVF, and the trials of trying for a baby. I'm Emma. And I'm Gabby, and we're both card-carrying members of the Infertility Club. Hello! What, 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 what's Tuesday? <laughs> we sound very un- unenthusiastic, mate. Really? I thought that was quite enthusiastic. We need to ramp up our enthusiasm. (laughs) It's Tuesday, guys! Another Tuesday Tuesday. in lockdown. Whoop, 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 whoop. (laughs) Uh, Tuesday for me has always been the worst day of the week. I don't know. Well, that's surely the podcast improves that, no? Yeah. I mean, it's fine. But we do get nice comments on the Tuesday. Yes, we do. It's great. Our Tuesdays are filled with light and joy. Well, that's partly why I thought we should do this on Tuesday, because mm. I find Tuesdays too depressing. And so we could say, Otherwise. see you next Tuesday. And yeah, I mean, that's obviously the primary reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, How you doing, yeah. mate? <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I really, do you know what? I've been thinking, I spent the last three days being like, what am I going to talk about on the podcast this week? And the answer is, I have nothing to talk about. Oh, wow. Um. So, I've... I mean, I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. Okay. I am fine. Oh, good. But there's nothing to talk about because nothing's happened. Because nothing happens. Yeah, still. I know. It's boring. <gasps> I'm so bored. Uh, what's the best thing you've eaten over the last seven days? I had some dairy-free ice cream. Yeah? But it doesn't taste like real ice cream, so it was shit. Oh, mate. Sorry, that, that's not the best thing I've eaten over last week. I also found some dairy-free rock four cheese. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it wasn't. Oh. Oh, God. It's so Mate, bad. should we... <laughs> I'm sorry that you've had such an uninspiring week. <laughs> it's just so boring. <laughs> do you know what? I've, I'll tell you what I've been trying to do. I've been looking for a good texturizing spray. Oh, so you can yeah. have... So, what is it um sea sea salt kissed hair yeah well i i want youtube hair i've decided i want hair like youtubers oh and the other thing i've done i learned to crochet yes i saw that, that i'm not cool. good at crocheting but i've made like eight granny squares and now i've run out of wool so i'm gonna have to get some more that's the sexiest thing you've ever said <laughs> um <laughs> how well, are you yeah, so I I have a sty in my eye. Oh, that's the sexiest thing you've ever said. 
oh yeah, I've got a sty just for you. Um, yeah, it's really painful and I look like Quasimodo and it's I'm just not happy about it, basically. It's, it's ruining my weekend. Ow. Yeah, it's really sore and horrible. I'm so sorry. Um, and I was like, I've got coronavirus in my eye. <laughs> uh, but I don't think that's what it is. I think it's just a regular bog standard sty. Oh, and um, yeah, so that's fun. I can't believe we're trying to run a podcast when literally nothing is happening to us and we have nothing to talk about. Oh, the other thing that happened is that yesterday I went to the park, as as we all do now, because it's the only thing we're allowed to do. Mm-hmm. And I, my husband bought me a cider and oh. I drank it. And then afterwards, after I drank this one bottle of cider, I was like, God, I feel fucking wasted. <laughs> and I looked at how the percentage alcohol was like 8.5% um, alcohol. I was like, Jesus Christ, no wonder I'm pissed. <laughs> That's brilliant. Oh, mate. So I ended up getting a hangover at like five o'clock and I was oh, in such a bad mood. I like, hate that. It was awful. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's happened. <laughs> I've, I've got to say lockdown has caused me to drink way more than I have in a long, 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 long time. Like since, basically since before I started IVF. And it's taught me that drinking is not that great. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I've i been grateful for my evening wines, for sure. Evening um, wines are good, but like day drinking. Yeah, day drinking. I, well, I mean, a poor Mr. Gabby got a right earful. I was like a spoilt, petulant brat yesterday because I was in <sighs> such a shitty hangover mood. I felt so sorry for him afterwards. So I'm a, I am a C-U-N-T. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Should we talk about the show as we have nothing show. else to discuss? Um. So I loved editing this show and by loved what I mean is I cried my eyes out oh man yeah Zoe has quite the story doesn't she so you've spoken to Zoe Clark Coates yes exactly um she is uh I guess an author she's she runs a charity called the Mariposa Trust which um which has something called saying goodbye which is basically uh, they organise services of remembrance for for babies that have been lost, and um, and they do it in cathedrals, which is really incredible. I think basically it's it's amazing what they do for for bereaved parents. Uh-huh. Um, and so she, but she has obviously has her own story of loss and grief, yeah. which is a real roller coaster. So yeah, I had a had a really nice chat with her um, about a month ago. What I thought was really interesting about the interview is I because because she's talking a lot about pregnancy and pregnancy loss and then pregnancy after pregnancy loss, I thought it might be a bit triggery, but it it doesn't to me it didn't feel triggery at all. Like obviously, if you're in a very very kind of delicate state right now, maybe don't listen to it. But I found it quite cathartic to listen to. Um and and just you know she. We say this so often, but she really articulates what she's been through so beautifully. Yeah, agreed. Definitely. And I think, you know, obviously pregnancy, people getting pregnant, um, a lot of the time we don't want to talk about that. We don't want to hear about it. But also mm-hmm. it, it happens a lot in our community that, that people get pregnant after they've had a loss. And so yeah. I think she kind of laid out a few kind of basic tips that I think would be helpful for, for anyone that this happens yeah. to really. Because it is such an anxious time and, you know, I did a I did an Instagram post after I'd edited it because I've been thinking about it so much about how upsetting I find it that people in our community 
I mean, the, the for the large part, aren't going to be able to enjoy pregnancy like, you know, I'm doing little air quotes, but normal people. Because you do have that anxiety following you around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so there's that, that interview. As, as Emma has said a number of times, get your tissues. Yeah, definitely. Get, get, have a box of tissues at the ready. That's what Grab I'm saying. Grab your Kleenex. Yeah. Um, and then we spoke to Professor Tim, Child Medical Director of Oxford Fertility. And he is talking about the difference between long and short protocols today. Uh, which is about time, actually, because yeah. I, I don't know the difference. No, I don't I, know. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that in a bit, but some confusing shit there. Um, and, and the then, foxes, what have the foxes been up to? Well, they've kind of, they're, they're bringing a literary flavour this week. Kind of a Ooh. book review, really. Oh, awesome. Like a, a funky book review. Um, so, yeah, and they're, they're kind of thinking a bit more about adoption and, and what that means and stuff like that. Um, guys, just to say, you know, if you're listening to this and if you're... Um, what do they used to say on TV shows? If you're experiencing the same issues, yes, um, it might be worth checking out the Hangout, which is run by Cat Strawbridge, who's been on the show a couple of times. Yes, um, the Finally Pregnant Hangout, which is it's a membership community for men and women who are finally pregnant and parenting. Yep. So you can find that by going to, well, checking out the Finally Pregnant podcast is a good first step. It is. It's a great podcast, so you should. It is. We've been on it. We have. Um, you can also go to um, Kat's Instagram, which is Trying Years. Or you can go to catstrawbridge.com because there's, uh, there's a little tab telling you all about it. And basically, um, you can receive support. They do lots of lives and you can participate in a monthly online support group. So get on it. I suppose that just leaves us to say, I hope you all enjoy the podcast. Yes, please rate, review, like and subscribe or whatever your preferred verb is. <laughs> and follow us on some social media. Yes, you can. You can follow us on Instagram. At Big Fat Negative. You can follow us on Facebook. Big Fat Negative. You can follow us on the Twitters. At Big Fat Negative. And you can email us. Big fat negative podcast at gmail.com. Do you know what? I'm going to actually change it. I'm going to sneak in and change our Twitter handle one day just so we can say something different there. Just to spice it up a bit. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll await that. Good. You can do it as a Everyone fun will, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes, exactly. When's it going to happen, guys? <laughs> um, in the meantime, please enjoy the show. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Why are you laughing? Because this is uh, the second time we've had this conversation. You didn't have to tell them that. Well, you didn't press record. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just couldn't get the staff these days. Anyway, what have you been up to this week? I read a book. You did? I did. <laughs> and it wasn't forced upon me at all. Ah, oh, How... Um, I can't think of the words. That would have been really good if I'd been really quick off the mark there. Yeah. Didn't sound forced at all. <laughs> Smooth. Would you like to tell us about this book? It's a book called No Matter What. Right. An adopted family's, adopted family's story of hope, love and healing by Sally Donovan. Why did we read this book? Because it's about adopted kids. And someone's experience. 
Yeah, so a bit of background, really, and I don't actually know if Nick is aware of this. <laughs> Probably not, that's why I'm a bit amused. Bamboozled. Um, basically, my friend Claire, hi Claire, is doing her PhD in adoption, and when we mentioned that we were interested in um, looking at adoption as an option, she recommended that we read this book. Um, and I was a bit unsure I think to start off with because I wasn't really sure how much I'd get from it but actually having been to the adoption information evening and feeling like I was quite disconnected from the whole thing I was actually quite keen to read somebody's first account from it because I hope that it would give us a bit more of an insight into actually what it's like yeah indeed what did you think about it I the fact I, I was a bit um, like you, re- reluctant to read because reading is something I do for pleasure, and this it felt a bit like homework. Yeah. But I enjoyed it. It was really interesting. Well, I enjoyed. Not necessarily the right. Well, it's an eye-opening book, isn't it? Definitely. I think for me, you know, like I said, I didn't. I felt really disconnected from the information evening, and so I didn't. I really wanted to kind of understand a bit more about what it's really like. Um, and yeah, both Nick and I are quite big readers. So I felt a bit like you. I kind of, st- I stopped and started with it a, a couple of times because um, I didn't feel like I was in the right headspace to really get enough, you know, as much as I needed from it. Um, but yeah, I definitely um, was really hungry to kind of get through it because I felt like I was really invested in the lives of the people yeah, that were I in the Yeah, I got very invested in it. I think you just want to know... Because they, a, a, they obviously have quite a hard time because the kids come from a traumatic background. But there's always interspersed to those sort of really happy times and you just want to see what becomes of them all. Yeah, and I th- it's not sugar-coated at all. No. Um, you know, it, it was very raw in places... Um, and I think it's quite interesting because um, I don't know if anybody's read it, but um, they discovered that they would need um, some help in conceiving and very quickly made the decision that IVF just was not for no. them. Um, so I think they were in quite a unique position. Um, yeah, they never even gave it. They never even went for a round, did they? No, so definitely in a very different position to us. Um, so I think I... I hoped to be able to read about a story similar to ours um, in that they'd maybe gone through um, IVF and had made the decision to move away from that um, or, or choose a different path and I didn't quite get that but definitely got um, a better understanding about the realities I guess of becoming an adoptive parent yeah um, this we've got to see so little experience you can gain I suppose until you really go through it but I suppose when you get from the adoption night you like you said it was a real whistle stop tour of what to expect and I suppose you get more into it the further you go into it but that was a like a, a case study if you like of someone's experience of adoption because they adopted slightly was it the boy was about three I think so yeah and the, the daughter was about one-ish. Yeah, 18 months-ish, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, similar to what I see foresee 
us doing if we went down that road, mm. which I think, again, is why I felt quite invested in it. Yeah. Um, were there any kind of particular moments that really struck you? Um, you've got... Obviously, you have the, the anger that the boy has at times, and he's aware of it. He's very aware of when he he's mean to his mum. Mm. But he just can't control it. Yeah. And then that's... I I, I was I would like to focus on the, the happier part. It's like a really nice ending sort of where they're all sort of... where they go to like watch him in a, a school production and he's just like the life of the performance really mm-hmm. and just sort of showing his growth a bit yeah. through a, like what, 10 years of positive family life really yeah, yeah. and then so the the, the the just stark realities are the because you've got the they don't go into much detail about the physical abuse no, when they went gone. into but yeah. it was more the there's a few bits when um the b- birth mother sends a memory box to the daughter but not the son yeah and you think that's just so cruel yeah yeah, and it's an extension, I guess, of the cruelty that he's already yeah. experienced. And like that, they were more fight because the, they're all throughout the, throughout the early part, particular book. The the birth parents are kicking up a stink, really, aren't they? Yeah. About them being adopted, yeah. and they send some letters to the parents and like addressing them as like their temporary carers, yeah. like real poignant. They're you know just deliberately trying to undermine them and but even that was they were more interested in getting the daughter back weren't they yeah yeah which is really sad it was it was really sad and and actually um there were a couple of things that really stood out for me in that i you know obviously having seen friends had have children and things you recognize that parenting is difficult um and you know our nephew um, has Down syndrome, and you have a kind of secondhand. You know, we have secondhand kind of um, not like information from your parents about the support, the extra support that he needs. Is you know, it well, it's just parent he, a different style of parents, and they have it to. Is, and um, it's, it's, what I'm saying is, it, it's a battle with authorities with schools yeah. always to make sure that he's getting every support that he needs um and i kind of got the feeling that it's very much the same with adoption and in this situation is that sometimes you have to prepare to have a bit of a fight on your hands and i, and I don't know if that's um kind of general parenting and it yeah. probably is from like a lot of people would say actually you know that's just you know we've all got a bit of a battle but Certainly for me, it just really struck me how much of a fight she had to... Yeah, especially in. with the, the initial support worker they were given shortly after they adopted, and then in comparison to the new one they get, where she's really good. Yeah, and I think just with the school, yeah. and you know, they have to move schools because he's just not getting the... You know, the, the little boy's not getting the well, support. Was, yeah, needs. and I think it was interesting, the other people's views that... Oh, he's he's been with you for like three years now. He, he should be over this. Yeah, he should be that, better. That that, that, that thought, which was, and you think these people are like in education? You sort of think maybe they should know a bit more about 
different struggles. Uh, that, I think that was shocking. And hopefully that's just uh, individual teachers. And bearing in mind, this was written some, what, 10 years ago? A bit longer than that. A bit longer than that. So I think, you know, we're, we're looking at it from a, a fixed point in time, I guess. Um, but I remember you saying before that you felt as though you had quite a rose-tinted view of adoption um, and you felt that you needed to have that reality check a bit. Do you feel like this book gave you that? A bit. I I still can't help focus on the positive sides of stuff. And I think it's... You don't... You don't quite... I I, I don't think I could ever quite know what it's like unless you're living in it. No. Because you're only reading about these sections where what she's actually talking about is years. Yeah. So I don't think you can wrap your head quite round that from just reading that. It certainly gives you experience of how hard it is. Mm. But you can't... Yeah, unless you know... Unless you're living through it... You, you're just reading about somewhat like a, different sections of people's lives yeah, within I mean, a few pages. I guess it's it's quite difficult as well because obviously having gone through years of infertility, like that presents its own set of challenges mm. and is its own battle. So it's that question of having seen a snapshot yeah. of how difficult it could be for somebody, you have to make that decision as to whether or not you're ready to continue that battle yeah. if you've got that like strength in you um, and I guess if you want to be a parent yeah, you that that's how it's going to be I think it's the, the early parts of the book where they're talking about their infertility struggles Yeah, it's almost a little bit reassuring it's always a bit reassuring to read someone else's having had the same experience because you can read and go yeah I know what she's talking about yeah. I can I can, I can uh, relate to that yeah definitely Definitely. Yeah, it was, good. it was well written, and I, I read it quite quickly in the end. You did, and you're someone who likes to take your time over books, so I was quite surprised. And, and normally, I can tell when you're really enjoying something in that you're you constantly want to have chances to read it. Mm. Um, and this was definitely one of that yeah. one of those for you, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I just want to. You just want to. I think you just want to see that they're all right. Yeah. In the end. Yeah, I think she has written other books, but I think they're more like therapeutic parenting books, which probably would be better for us further down the line, potentially. Um, It'd be nice for her to have a sort of almost like a sequel, because I would like to know what becomes of them and the kids and where they are now. Because they must be, I'm sure we've worked it out, like the son must be about 20 by now. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, it's, like you said, they've had a, you know they've had the positive experiences have continued, but yeah. it was definitely like for me, I definitely felt like it was as difficult or would be as difficult or even more so than I anticipated. I think, and there were certainly elements that I felt really emotionally connected to it, and yeah. definitely parts where I got quite upset yeah. reading. Not necessarily about what had happened, because they don't go into massive detail about that, and it's not really relevant, but more so just the reactions of the children to certain things that were happening. And, you know, you could definitely feel her frustration in the sort of more challenging behaviours. And so I just think it gave me definitely more of an emotional connection to a child's children who have been in trauma. Yeah. 
Um, so I think for me, it definitely was a bit of an eye opener, but but certainly not in a bad way. No, I think there's different parts where it's like there, you feel a bit of relief when he goes to the new school, and he seems to be getting on. Yeah. Better. Yeah. Yeah, because you're that invested, I think, in him yeah. and you know wanting him to do well, and I guess you would hopefully transfer that onto any adoptive children that yeah. we had, but you definitely felt like that's success when he yeah you, you're willing that yeah when they have a a good day when yeah. they just, you really feel the success in that yeah and that must be like amazing feeling for them you yeah. kind of really got that that sense because there's a few moments where she i think i can't remember where it's like a family get together and he's almost like leading he's sort of different kids like really confident and yeah. happy and and it's the same with the, that um, performance he does at the end, and that must be a really rewarding experience. Yeah, the sense of achievement that you must feel having given that child that extra confidence yeah. and, and that, you know, life to, to feel that way must be amazing. And on the, like I said, the, the, the bits where he recognises when he's being angry, and you think that's, that must be a sign of growth. Yeah, definitely. He knows he's, he gets angry and he doesn't know how to stop it, and mm. they... This, and he, she, she can discuss it with him. And I suppose it doesn't, because it, it is really, some parts are really quite shocking, aren't they? How he, He's very aggressive, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, and I think... like you, And it turns really quickly. Yeah. Yeah, and you definitely get the sense, or you it's almost reinforced, because obviously you know, they did speak about this in the adoption information evening, that it's very much um, child-centred. You know, it was very much about the child. Mm. And certainly when they get the, the social worker um, who is more invested, she's very much, you know, focused on the children and, and how they're doing. And, and it's not so much about you. So I guess you kind of have to realise and recognise and be able to take that step back because even though you're part of the bigger picture, it's kind of not about you. No. Um, and it's really hard, like, to recognize that and to realize that that might be something that you um could do given that having gone through IVF it kind of is all about you yeah yeah definitely you know so you kind of gone from like a really um you know me focused or us focused time to actually this is about someone else and and I guess to a degree that is the transition into parenting, but you're so focused on the IVF element. Yeah, that's, a, yeah. You know, like we said before, it's a bit a bit like when you get married and you get really focused and hung up on the wedding and then you kind of almost forget that, oh, yeah, we yeah. have married life after this. Yeah. You know, actually... That's the best part. It is the best part. I really hope it's the same with parenting. Yeah. Although it sounds very stressful. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, is there anything else that you'd like to say about the book? I highly recommend it. Yeah, I do. And I think it's it's a really good read. Um, it's a really interesting read. And not only is it informative um, just by way of the process, it does definitely give an emotional insight into adoptive family yeah. life. Um, and it's quite raw in places. So I, Yeah, it is. But I think overall it's quite positive. Definitely. It's not, it's not a negative. Um, it's not a negative read at all. It's you know, it end, you know, it ends very positively. Sorry, spoilers. Um, but it doesn't shy away from no, the difficult yeah. elements, I don't think. No. 
So yeah, bringing a bit of literary flavour to BFN this week. Next week, Harry Potter. <laughs> uh, and it will contain spoilers. Um, but yeah, hope you all have good weeks and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we start every interview by asking our interviewees to tell us about their journey. So, Zoe, tell me about your journey. Okay, so um, my journey is the fact that I went through baby loss. So um, going back a little further, me and my husband are successful business owners and um, we're international PR and event experts and um, love working together mm. and have been married for quite a long time before we decided to have children um, and when that time came, we just presumed it would all be fine and it would all be okay. My sister had had children with no problems at all. Um, now, I was totally aware of baby loss because I'm a trained counsellor. Mm. I'm trained in it because my mum is a therapist. Okay. And what had really pushed me into doing it was not only my mum being a therapist, it was also because one of my best friends had had two stillbirths mm-hmm. and miscarriages and so I journeyed that with her so I trained and um, so I was aware of baby loss but just didn't think it would ever happen to me of course I um, don't think anyone does no you just think that you'll just sell through you can choose to have children when you want I always say you spend so much of your time trying not to get pregnant until you want to get pregnant and then you realize the fact that you know the stars need to align in a specific way for everything to even happen and um it's so hard but you're just not taught that are you even at school or anything you're just made to believe that it just happens when you want it to happen yeah 100% um um so we decided to try and we're really blessed to get pregnant 
and um, but quickly lost that baby through a miscarriage. Um, we kind of didn't even process the loss, to be honest. I was so determined not to be one of those statistics and to have gone through loss. So we almost pretended it didn't happen. Right. And I said, let's just try again. Let's not even think about it. And um, we were blessed to get pregnant again. And this time it just felt so different to that first pregnancy, which we saw as a very good sign. Um, and I went for my first scan. Everything was great. Mm. And um, after that scan, I started to bleed. But they'd actually warned me that that might happen okay. at that scan because they'd seen some old blood in my womb. And they said, don't panic if that ever starts to come out. Um, which of course I did. As soon as I started to bleed, I was yeah, terrified. At any pregnant woman, no, I know. Even if you're warned about it, it's still terrifying. Um, but I kind of um, tried to deep breathe through it and just willed it to stop, and eventually it started to settle. Okay. And so we saw that as a good sign. I actually got the flu. Um, then, which wasn't great timing. And um, so I was pretty bedridden right. with the flu. Um, and then the bleeding started again. And um, I ended up going for an emergency scan. And that showed that our daughter, Darcy, was absolutely fine. She was all happy. It was all great. So... That brought some peace, but the bleeding increased 24 hours later. Right. And I ended up in A&E, who were really dreadful. And oh, no. they actually asked me why I was so upset. Was it because You're we kidding. paid for our baby and it was an IVF baby? And, um, and it, that really shocked us because it totally removed our permission to be sad about it to be grieving about it and we were still hoping everything was okay but just to be asked why you're upset and um it yeah it was shocking yeah that is shocking I mean you'd hope that that must be so rare because even common sense tells you not to say that to someone yeah you'd think um they couldn't do anything and they couldn't scan and um, they told me the earliest they could give me a scan was in a week's time. Oh, wow. Um, which, and to just go to bed and just presume everything was okay, mm. which clearly you can't do when you're so terrified. So we left numbers, um, messages on lots of different clinics, amps machines mm. on the Sunday. And on the Monday morning, I got a call from one of the clinics saying, come straight over to us now and we will scan you. Right. And um, that was such a horrible drive. And I was up one moment thinking everything's going to be okay. And the next moment thinking I need to prepare myself for awful news mm. here. Mm. And um, we went, went to the clinic, got the scan and it was... Um, quite an advanced clinic. So instead of just having a small screen, they had a massive screen on the wall opposite us. So um, we were watching that and we could instantly see her on the screen. Mm. So that just gave us such reassurance. And um, 
but the sonographer, the midwife who was doing the scan, she she didn't really speak and she was really quiet. And and then we noticed that she wasn't moving on the screen. And and, and then we just... um, looked at her and said is mm. everything okay and and she just stayed silent and oh. and um and then she said I'm really really sorry but she she's passed away and um it was awful I mean I can just I, such an awful moment yeah I, ca- I can't even imagine how awful yeah and um we, we we begged for another scan and a consultant came in and he did another scan and um Basically, we were given choices of what to do. We decided to um, wait to go into natural labour, which is what I did. Mm. And um, I delivered her at home. And, um, yeah, it was horrible. That is incredible. Yeah. How did you get through that? It was hard and it was black and it was dark. And Mm. um, I had to go for a scan in the middle of the next week. So I was waiting for labour to start and... I'd asked that midwife who'd done the scan, "Is have you ever seen a baby come back to life? And she said to me, I remember one case I read once where someone was told the baby had died and then when they went back, the baby was alive. And so I was like, right, that's going to be me. I'll hold on to that. that. Yep. The second person. Yep. And so for those days in between, I was just praying constantly mm. that she would come back to life. And um, so we went in a few days later for another scan and um and she'd actually grown and that shocked me because the blood carries on going to the baby and and everything but her heart was still not beating and and so that's where all hope then left that this was it and Mm. it was over and my parents had come and were staying with us by then and um we'd just all just sit and cry and stare out the window and it was um, coming up to Christmas and so I remember just sitting staring at all of the neighbours mm. Christmas lights mm. and it just felt so surreal and and just waiting for labour to start and I went into labour exactly a week later right and um and delivered her and yeah it was horrible and traumatic but also beautiful and and people really struggled knowing even what to say to me in that week because there is something really weird about knowing somebody is pregnant and their baby's not alive anymore so they're still pregnant but the baby's not kind of there and and I remember a friend saying to me isn't it horrible isn't it I I don't understand I don't understand how you can be okay and just living with having a dead baby inside you. Mm. And I remember saying to her, it's still my baby. Yeah, of course. It's still my baby. I don't love her any less yeah, yeah. than when her heart was beating. And, you just and have, she you have more take the timing. Yeah, absolutely. And the thought of actually going into labour was scary and, and the unknown. And, and it was going to be the end of my time with her. Mm. So I was okay waiting. Mm. It wasn't... It wasn't some people find it they need to get it sorted immediately and yeah. go into surgery yeah. and I get that mm. but that just wasn't my story at that time I actually I didn't mind that weight and it gave me time mentally to deal with the fact that she died and yeah. um and so 
yeah, I didn't know how I would recover, but somehow we did mm-hmm. and um, got pregnant again. Mm-hmm. And that was so exciting. Because... And I remember going to, I was so didn't believe the pregnancy tests. I'd done so many of them. I went yeah. to the pharmacy, I went to Boots and you know, they've got that. Um, if you want to speak to the pharmacist in private, we have a little room. Yes. Yeah. So I was like, I need to speak to you in private. Right. So I dragged this guy, this pharmacist into the, um, into the private room and I got out all my pregnancy tests out the bag and laid them all in front of him. And I went, am I pregnant? He was like, <laughs> yes, you're pregnant. I think you and are. And I was yes. just like, I think you are pregnant. And it, because I just so didn't believe them. Mm. And, um, yeah, so that was really exciting and sadly ended in another miscarriage. Oh, and um, so the first was obviously a miscarriage. The second was a missed miscarriage. The third was then a miscarriage. And um, and oh, then, God. yeah, and then when life was so utterly crap, we'd got a dog who was anyone who is an animal lover will know dogs can be equal family members and and we'd had our dog through most of our married life and and um and then he suddenly got sick and died one afternoon oh no that's and that too kind much. of finished me off oh, yeah I mean, yeah I it really imagine. did finish me off I was just like nope that's yeah. it. I no cannot more. do this anymore and that's when we had our drive of madness and um, me and Andy just didn't know what to do. And I said, I just can't be in the house. No. It feels awful. Um, our dog not just walking around. The house felt so quiet. So we just got in the car and we started to drive and we drove to the top of Scotland. Right. And um, we cried all the way. We talked, we cried. And we'd stop at hotels, just sleep, get back in the car, carry on driving. And then when we got to the top of Scotland, mm. um, Andy said, what do you want to do now? Do you want to get a ferry abroad? Because we'd taken our passports. Wow. And I said, no, let's just drive back. Because yeah. the vet, who was a friend of ours, I said, he'll be phoning us up to collect Jake's ashes, the dog's ashes. So let's go home. So we drove all the way back crying. And um, yeah, again, another completely surreal time. And... Um, because of losing Jake, the dog, Mm -hmm. and then the three losses, um, when I was then late with my period, I didn't think anything of it. I just thought it's stress. It's the fact that we've been driving and we have not really eaten well and and everything. So, of course, um, but I suddenly thought, what if I'm pregnant? What if, what if I'd got pregnant? before Jake had died and I've just not even realised it mm. and um, went and did a pregnancy test and it was positive positive. Oh, wow. and um, I just couldn't believe it and we immediately contacted our consultant yep. and um, he was just like just avoid all stress and I was like oh, that's, that's not possible <laughs> let me tell you what we've just done and we've just driven to the top of Scotland and I haven't eaten hardly at all for two weeks yeah, and um, I've just cried for two weeks, and um, and he was just like, "Don't worry about it. It's something we tell people, but actually, the worry really won't make much difference at yeah. all." And um, and that pregnancy went all the way through, and we ended up bringing our little girl home. Oh, how and, wonderful! Um, yeah, so that is Esme Emilia Promise, who oh. is now eleven years old. <gasps> wow. <laughs> and um yeah and we 
just adored being parents and we'd only ever planned to have one child mm. but within well as I came out of theatre because I had a c-section I was saying oh it's a shame she's not a twin uh-huh. and um and because it'd be so nice to have two yeah and the sibling was um, already in mind I know, but I'd still kept saying, no, no, we'll only still have one. Yeah. But w- by the time she was about one and a half, we were started talking about, should we have more? She'd started to really love playing with other children. And, mm. and um, it felt like the right thing to do. And, and our heart just completely changed. And we decided we desperately wanted another child. Right, okay. Um, so we tried for another child. And um, we're really blessed to get pregnant with Samuel. And um, again, everything was going great. Mm-hmm. I was going for regular scans just yeah. to make sure everything was okay. And on one afternoon, there was Andy, myself and Esme all in the room with the doctor. And um, the scan started and we could see Samuel on the screen. And then Chris, our consultant, just went silent. And um, again. And I just, that's exactly what I said. Mm. I said, not again. Yeah. And um, he said his heart stopped beating. <gasps> and so we were back there all over again. And Esme was sitting there watching the screen. Oh. And um, and it was just horrible. So I just asked if I could just take a few minutes out. And I just went into their bathroom and just screamed and slid down the wall. I mean... And, um, Imagine yeah. having to deal with it with Esme as well must have just added a layer of complexity that's just... Oh, it was horrible. Mm. And um, this time I didn't feel like I could choose to go the natural route and yeah. have her, have him naturally. It yeah. just felt, because of Esme, I couldn't wait a week and um, I didn't want any added complications. So I decided to have surgery. Right. Um but the, the doctor who needed to do it was on holiday and um, he was really kind to say he'd come back off holiday just to do the surgery for me. Mm. And um, yeah, I waited, I think, three or four days, maybe maybe five or six, mm. and, um, and then went in to have the operation yeah. and um, delivered him that way. And it was horrible. It was different. To every loss has been very different, yeah. and I was I was shocked at how much I grieved, um, not only for myself but also for Esme, the fact that she was losing a brother, of and course. what if this meant that we wouldn't be able to have more children? Mm. Um, so that just added another dimension to the grief, really. Yeah. And um, how did you communicate decide- it with Esme? Because she was so young, she kind of didn't truly grasp and. We just kept on saying, we're sad at the moment, but everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And um, and hopefully one day you'll have a baby brother or sister. Mm. And, and, and family were really great and they came and really spent time entertaining her where we could have those moments of just being together and screaming and crying in private because I was so determined to keep all of it away from her. Yeah, and, um, and we because I just wanted things to feel as normal as possible for her. Mm-hmm. And um, so we, I think we navigated that one well, but it was really, really hard. Mm. Um, but she definitely didn't come out um, scarred through through it. Yeah, I well think. done. Yeah, and, and that in itself felt like a real achievement at the time. Whatever we were going through, we definitely were able to protect her through it. 
And um, then we decided to try again once we'd got to a place where we just felt ready to face whatever life threw at us Mm -hmm. and um and got pregnant everything was going great and um we decided to tell the whole family we were expecting on our christmas eve party that we have every year okay and as soon as i told them i then went up to the bathroom and started to bleed oh so i was like no this can't be possible this can't be possible it's just like the worst groundhog day ever and um and you also feel like oh i've jinxed it i've told everyone i've told everyone and and now everyone's going to be sad and it was christmas eve and it was just oh it was just horrible um we got told within a few days we definitely miscarried Mm. and um so i just kept on saying let's just give esme a great christmas that's what we'll do and we'll grieve after christmas Mm. um which obviously is okay to say but it's not possible just to put everything on hold no. but again we just tried to keep everything as private as possible from her and and um it was probably around january 2nd i started to get really ill mm-hmm. and iller and iller and iller until eventually i said i need to see a consultant or something because something is seriously wrong with me yeah and um we managed to get a private appointment and during that scan they said well you might have been told you've lost the baby but they were wrong you haven't miscarried what yes i know and so we'd gone through all of this grief to being told suddenly we we were still pregnant we'd never lost the baby and um and then we were told we were actually having twins (laughs) so we that's, were just that's a curveball yeah, and a half i know so we went from having no baby to having two babies wow. and um yeah it was a whirlwind and nothing we could have prepared for of course um but the next scan we had showed the fact that one of the babies was a bit more developed than the other so chris our consultant who we hadn't seen him the first time because we weren't in that area where he was when we had the scan Mm. um he just said just be mindful that you might not come home with two babies here okay and um so that changed our thinking and we decided not to tell everyone we were expecting twins just in case that happened because we just didn't know how we'd be able to verbalise it all. And so we just kept it to our really close friends Mm. and family who knew and um, just tried to navigate it week by week to see what would happen. But I got Illa and Illa. Right. Ended up having lots of complications and ended up being admitted into hospital. Oh, gosh. and they determined that I, my liver was, something was seriously going wrong with my liver. And and I had um, got gallstones and my gallbladder had adhered to other organs. Um, I just really don't need that, do you? No, <laughs> definitely not want what you want to hear when no. you're pregnant. And um, so I stayed in hospital for a while and eventually was let out on um the what they said was that they were going to try and keep me going until they delivered 
the children. Yeah. And at that point, they would try and do the surgery that I needed. But it quickly became evident that that wasn't going to be possible. Um, we sadly lost one of the twins, Isabella. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was then only carrying one baby. And they said that, that it just couldn't wait. I was going to die mm. and she would die too. And oh, so the sorry. only option to try and save me and the baby was to have surgery while pregnant. So they gave me one operation and to make sure what was wrong was exactly what they thought, which it was. And then a week later, I went in for the surgery. Wow. And um, had an operation while pregnant, which was terrifying. I imagine. Especially when the anaesthetist had come in just before me being taken to theatre. And they said, "Um, just so you know, we have no way of monitoring your baby during this operation. So we will just be looking after you and you've just got to hope your body keeps her safe. How can you deal with that information? It was so horrible. I remember him walking out of the room and me just sobbing in Andy's arms and saying... I just don't want to even go in there. But if I don't go in there, then she will definitely die. And I will die. Yeah. And Esme won't have a mum. And and this is the only chance to keep this baby alive. Um. So I've just got to trust. I've got a faith. I'm just going to believe that God will keep her safe. And um, it turned into a really complex, long operation that went on for hours and hours. Oh. And um, But I came out and... There was complications after, but she survived she and I survived. And, Thank goodness. Um, and we brought her home. Oh, and what's when her name? She was born months later by C-section. Oh. She's called Bronte Jemima Hope. Oh, Bronte. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yes. good news. Yeah. Wow, you yeah. have been through so much. I, I, I think that's more than more than anyone could have handled. It's quite a journey and certainly not one that I would have ever thought I would have been going through when you just, as I said before, just you think you can choose to have children and everything will just be okay. And whether your battle is infertility or loss or recurrent miscarriage or whatever it is, it's just not something you can prepare for. Of course not, of course not. Now, um, I think... You, you've, as I say, you've been through so much, but what I'd really love to talk to you about is, is I guess, pregnancy after loss and, mm-hmm. and how you can navigate that because that's obviously something that you've been, you've been through a lot. Yeah. Um, and I know that you're also, you're writing a book about it. Um, yeah. So, so should we talk about that for a second? Absolutely. And I think this was one of the areas that I really struggled in. And I was really glad I was a counsellor, actually, and had had all of that therapy training because I was able to implement a lot of the skills I'd been trained in Mm -hmm. um, in my own life, which while you're training, you're not ever really viewing it as something you will use yourself. You're very much viewing it as something you're utilising to help other people through trauma and and um, their experience. But it was something I absolutely depended on to survive pregnancy after loss, which nothing could have prepared me for it. Just like nothing could have prepared me for going through the loss, nothing could have prepared me for the actual 
the trauma and it was a trauma mm. of pregnancy um after you've already had that trap door open mm-hmm. and you've fallen and then all innocence is taken from you in pregnancy where you just presume everything's going to be okay you suddenly are living in trepidation every single day of something going wrong mm. and it really is a battle of the mind to try and overcome that daily anxiety and fear Mm -hmm. where nine months feels like eternity and everyone tells you just take it a day at a time but actually a day at a time is just too much for Mm -hmm. most people and it's overwhelming um so my first three books my first two books are actually both um baby loss support books Mm. my third book is a general grief book for all loss whether you have lost a partner or um a sibling or a parent or grandparent or or anything and so when the publisher said to me what do you want book four to be Mm. it was just an easy answer the fact that what i definitely want to be my fourth book is a pregnancy guide to help you navigate this really challenging terrain Mm. that nobody can really help you through it's a very solitary experience even though you're a couple going through pregnancy it's definitely something you battle in your head well as you say it's, um, it's um it's it's in your mind it's something you have to deal with and get through every day as it comes yeah and so that comes out in November, which I'm really excited about because it's something as a charity CEO, one of our divisions is called Growing You and mm. that supports people through pregnancy mm. after loss. And Fantastic. it's something we've been asked for for so long, just a, a guide and a resource. Yeah. And I mean, I guess there's a sense that for many women that, that having experienced loss and to a degree infertility as well kind of robs you of enjoying a pregnancy mm-hmm. is that something that that you've experienced or that you've heard from people you've been talking to absolutely um you definitely have your joy robbed and there's a guilt in that as well because mm. all you want to do is um embrace the pregnancy you're so grateful to be pregnant mm. because you know how fragile um everything surrounding pregnancy is so if you're pregnant you want to be able to enjoy it you want to be able to embrace it and you want to say yeah I know I'm one of the lucky ones but at the same time you're terrified that that pregnancy is going to end and um, so you're also battling guilt the whole Mm. time as well so you're you're full of fear you feel guilty and um, you have no clue what tomorrow may bring and what totally took me by surprise was how fear seems to get into everything. Mm. And once that fear lever is pulled, everything becomes scary and everything becomes challenging. So whether that be work or anything, because everything almost becomes um, a trigger, but also you're scared of doing certain things in case that um you know Mm. makes you more at risk Mm. of losing you don't want to be stressed you don't want to do physical things that could cause problems so every part of your life is affected by it absolutely unbelievable and so um I mean what's what are your tips for for surviving that situation for others well the cliche is true you do have to take it a day at a time but Mm. as I said that can be too much for some so you've got to just take it an hour at a time 
I'd always say, allow yourself to feel what you feel. The biggest problem is when people say, I'm just not going to worry. I'm just, I'm just going to enjoy it and just, and and then that becomes uh, almost fight mentally to keep those negative thoughts away. And it's actually proven clinically, the fact that the more you try not to do something, the more your brain tries to take you there. So actually, you've just got to give yourself permission to worry. So it's going to be okay. If I need to worry, I'll worry. But then try not to allow your brain to take you too far down that path. So give yourself permission to say, it's okay to be frightened. It's okay to worry. And that fear and that worry is totally legitimate. Anyone would feel it. Mm. So I'm not silly for feeling it. I'm not dramatic for feeling it. It's totally normal and okay. Mm. But then try to stop yourself from spiraling. Mm -hmm. So I would... For instance, I would say, right, I'm going to have five minutes where I just think about what I'm worried about. I'm going to let my mind go there. But then at the end of that five minutes, I'm going to pull myself back and then say, but right now, everything's okay. Right now, as far as I'm aware, my baby is safe, my baby is okay, and Mm. there is nothing wrong with it Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's going to stay like that for tomorrow, but right now, that's how it is. So I'm going to choose to believe that, choose to embrace it. And um, it's a conscious choice. And by doing a mixture of both of those things, by acknowledging the fear, saying it's okay to be there and you don't need to feel silly for it. And um, but then saying, but I will now make this choice to um allow myself to enjoy it to allow myself some some peace Mm. um that's one of the big keys I think to getting through it absolutely um one of the things that I I've seen you talk about is is something you call loo terror which is something I absolutely understand and you know I, I think myself and Emma both had lots of bleeding in early pregnancy so that feeling of not wanting to go to the loo to see yeah to see that blood um yeah, what, how, how would you describe Lou Terra? How, what, how does yeah. it impact people? Well, this was something that through my work as CEO of um, the Mariposa Trust, mm-hmm. we, we support over 50,000 people a week. So we're hearing literally thousands of stories a day from people. And I started to look at the common threads that people were constantly talking about. And one of them was fear of going to the loo after they've gone through any sort of loss. Mm. And when I looked at my journey, my story, I realised that's where so much of my terror and fear really rested in as well, where I didn't want to go to the bathroom. I didn't want to, every time I'd get up in the night, I'd be so scared of what if I see blood now in the night. Yeah, I used to go for a wee in in the dark at night just to, because I didn't want to know. That's exactly what I started to do. And for some people, that's a great technique to actually help them through it. Other people say that actually increases their worry because then they're thinking, well, if I'm bleeding, I want to know about it. And um, and so it's finding that your ways to navigate that, but it's all consuming. And I realised the fact that no one talked about Lutera. It's like this unknown subject apart from those who go through it. And then... I decided to cover a few topics in posts and this was one of them 
And it went viral mm. within half an hour because people were all saying, I thought it was just me. Yeah. I had no idea. This is a common thread globally with people. And um, and so that's what I named it, Lutera. And um, it isn't only there when you're pregnant. I started to do a lot of research with different people. And once that behaviour pattern sets in about being frightened about seeing blood, it actually can carry on after you're not pregnant anymore. Mm. And people can still have it um, during their normal monthly cycle when it comes back, that same wave of panic the moment they see blood because it's entrenched that trauma in the brain it takes you back it's almost ptsd isn't it it is it absolutely is and as soon as i started to openly talk about this it just removed so much almost stigma for a lot of Mm. people because they thought that there was almost something mentally wrong with them that they were experiencing this that they thought it was so unique to them and that nobody else in the world would understand. And then as soon as you realise this is really common for everybody mm. um, or for the majority of people, it makes you just feel so less lonely when you're experiencing it. And yeah. I think as soon as you realise you're not the only one, it just changes the experience of it. It doesn't make it less bad, mm. but it definitely makes it a less lonely experience no, and takes away the fear that you are the only person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I suppose uh, scans are another big kind of hurdle that you have to get through when, when you're pregnant and you're having these anxieties. How How would you yeah. say you could approach scans in a way that's not going to completely throw you off mentally. Yeah. Well, I'd always say I cover this extensively in the book, The Pregnancy Mm. After Loss. And I've even got within that um, support section, um, a seven day plan leading up to your scan to help you mentally prepare for it. Um, But my top tips would definitely be always be really open with whoever is looking after you about your history. And so you've got to be really vulnerable in that and explain what you've been through so they can tailor their support to you. And sadly a lot of people will see varying different people during their pregnancy and for scans and so Mm. what I always recommend is writing up your story and putting it into your pregnancy notes and if you don't want to then explain it every time and have to revisit that and possibly re-trigger even more trauma you just say to whoever you're seeing um there's something in my notes that I'd really like you to read before Mm. we carry on talking and just so they've got the full history of what you've been through don't make it too long you know if you write six or seven pages of A4 they're not going to have the time to read that so be brief about it but put it there and highlight it and um say to anybody who's looking after you please could they read it and that is the first big way of helping yourself through this because the more you open up to those around you who are offering you medical support the better they can give you care Mm. don't be afraid to ask for somebody else to look after you if you do receive um not compassionate or great Mm. care and the nhs is really set up 
in that way the fact that if you don't appreciate the care you're getting or don't think it's good or it's causing you more harm than good to say could I actually change to Mm -hmm. a different person Mm -hmm. looking after me and that can really help people as well and also know the fact that you can choose where you have your care you can go to a different hospital if a certain place triggers things it's okay to move to a different location and say I'd rather have my care in that Mm. place rather than Mm. um, one where I've had loss previously happen um yeah um and well I mean we talked about communication just there how about communication with your friends and family like you have you had the experience of both telling people that you were pregnant Mm -hmm. and then having to tell them you'd lost the baby and then also of keeping it secret How, how do you think people can come to those decisions themselves on whether to tell people or not yeah, well, I'm a big advocate of telling people you're pregnant the moment you pee on that stick. <laughs> and um, I think the 12-week rule, one of our campaigns as a charity for years has been to break that because it's actually a not-so-subtle way of telling people to not talk about loss. I mean, they actually say that don't tell anybody you're pregnant until after 12 weeks just yeah. in case you lose your baby. So it's not even an, a subtle way of telling people not to talk about their pain and grief. It's mm. really blatant. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a big believer in tell people the moment you feel ready to tell them. Now, for some people, they don't want to tell people until 12 weeks or 20 weeks or 24 weeks. And that's absolutely fine. But I hate the fact that some people do feel ready instantly to share that they're pregnant and um, they don't feel that they can because of society judging them that they're breaking yeah. the news too early. And But actually, you get so much better support if people know you're pregnant, if the worst did happen, which hopefully it won't happen. Mm. But if it does, it's really hard to tell people retrospectively, look, I was pregnant, but I'm not pregnant now. Mm-hmm. This is what I've gone through. It's so much easier to share that news if they already knew you were pregnant. And they're also invested into that pregnancy the moment yeah. you've told them as well. So it means they support you in a different way because they are journeying with you as well. Mm. So I'd always encourage people to share their news as quickly as they feel comfortable with Mm -hmm. and for some that might mean sharing it with just a small group of people initially and then telling everybody else um but I just think the important thing is to feel that freedom because you just really need it whether nothing goes wrong which we pray it never does for anybody pregnancy is really challenging at the best of times Mm -hmm. let alone if you've gone through loss and it's a time when you just need the support of people and that friendship and love around you Mm. to help cheer you on because it's not easy growing a human whatever your previous experience yeah Absolutely. Um, well, Zoe, I think that's that's all of my questions. I've kept you for long enough now. Um, can I just ask you before you go, just to give us a quick overview of the Mariposa Trust? Because I know you've touched on it a few times, but yeah. um, I think it'd be great to hear it in your own words, what it is that you guys do. Yeah, so the Mariposa Trust is more widely known as Saying Goodbye. And Saying Goodbye is our primary support division for anybody who's gone through any type of baby loss or child loss up to losing a four-year-old. 
Um, we support, as I said, over 50,000 people a week via um, international services of remembrance, befriending, support and campaigning. Um, and then we've got many other divisions within the organisation, Growing You, which supports people through pregnancy after loss, Waiting for You for people who are choosing to go down the adoption route and many other divisions. Um, another part of our work within the Mariposa Trust is campaigning for change. Mm. I'm actually seconded to government. I'm co-chair um, on behalf of the health secretary for the review into how we support people who lose a baby. And so that's part of my work as well, um, which is across the NHS and beyond in looking how we can better support people in the UK who have gone through this real trauma. And um, the government are really aware of the fact that you might not be able to stop all loss, but just by being offered the right care Mm. and great care Mm. and compassionate care that can really help people emotionally journey through loss so that's part of my work as well and the work of the Mariposa Trust. It's incredible that you've turned your experience which has been awful and traumatic into something that helps so many so many women and and their partners so you know thank you from everyone. I think it's, oh, I think thank it's incredible. And, and thank you for your time, importantly. Um, it's been great to speak to you today. Thank you. Now it's time for IVF. What the F? What the F? Uh, we're talking about protocols. We are talking about protocols. Long ones, short ones, ghost medium ones. Medium ones? No What's such ghost protocol? I think it's a Mission Impossible film. Ah, well, we should all watch that too. Yeah, you won't learn about What else about am I doing? Idea. Professor Tim does not feature in that. No, he doesn't. Although no. he, is, oh, he is like Tom Cruise, isn't he? <laughs> I bet he runs as fast as Tom Cruise. I bet he can climb vertically up buildings and does all his own stunts. Yeah, he definitely does his own stunts. Don't think he's a Scientologist though. Um, yes, so long and short protocols. What does it mean? What's the, what the F? Why are what we doing a long F? one? Why are we doing a short one? Yeah. I did a short one. You did a short one. My clinic was is all about the longest possible protocol, the longest time that you can spend smashing drugs into your system. Um, And then you started your... I remember when you did your FET, started your drugs for FET. Mm. That's frozen embryo transfer. Um, And you were like, oh, yeah, I'm just like going straight on the estrogen and I'll have a transfer in a couple of weeks. And I was like, you what? Sorry, come again. Yeah, I was never, I never got put on the pill, which I know is um, yeah. obviously something that happens a lot. So, um, yeah, I don't know why. Hopefully, I was like, I'll find out. Yeah, I just felt like you weren't going through it properly. I felt like you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> that bitch doesn't know what it's really like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, Professor Tim is going to explain to us why, why different clinics do different things why why i got away with it yeah exactly you bastard so um, a long protocol is the traditional type of ivf where the woman is down regulated using an agonist drug and that can be given by a daily injection or a once monthly injection or as we use at oxford facility um, a daily sniffer and that drug you take that every day it's called an agonist you take it every day uh, and after about two to three weeks it suppresses the um, the hormones that come from the head. So it switches everything off and it puts the woman's reproductive hormones to baseline. And you'd normally then go into your clinic and have 
um, something like a down regulation check. It might be a down reg blood test or a scan, something to confirm that everything is at baseline. And you would then go on to start your daily stimulation injections whilst continuing with the daily sniffer or down regulation injection because that switches off the ability to ovulate. When we stimulate the ovaries for IVF and the follicles are getting larger, we have to uh, obviously prevent ovulation before egg collection. So everything needs to be switched off. So you do that with in a long protocol with this daily agonist sniffer or injection for two or three weeks before starting stimulation, and then you continue it all the way up until the late night trigger. The alternative is a short protocol, and there are different ways of doing a short protocol, but the commonest current approach would be to have a short antagonist protocol. With a short antagonist protocol, on usually around day two of your period, you would start on your daily stimulation. So you don't do the down-regulation drugs beforehand. So on day two of your period, you go straight on to the, the daily um, stimulation injection with a drug such as Gonalef or Menopure or one of the variations of that. And then a few days later, you have to then add in a second drug, and this is the antagonist, and it's usually given by a daily injection. And that second drug switches off the ability to ovulate. As I've just said, you have to have something to switch off the ability to ovulate. You then continue with your daily stimulation injection and your daily antagonist injection all the way up until the late night trigger, and then everything is stopped at that point. So those are the differences. Um, The clues in the name, a, a long protocol obviously takes longer than a short protocol, The main differences really are that the the risk of ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, or OHSS, is significantly lower with a short antagonist protocol compared to a long agonist protocol. So some clinics will use a short antagonist protocol for women who are at increased risk of OHSS, um, and that's particularly women with polycystic ovaries, uh, women with a high anti-malarian hormone or AMH level, younger women, women who've had OHSS beforehand. Some clinics indeed will use a short antagonist protocol for absolutely everyone. Now you might ask, well, if if there's a lower risk of OHSS with a short antagonist protocol and it's shorter and quicker, why wouldn't all clinics use it for everyone? And it's a very good question. And it's probably because some previous studies did suggest a slightly higher success rate with a long agonist protocol compared to a short antagonist protocol. And because of that, a lot of clinics have been a bit wary about moving everyone over to a short antagonist protocol. But more recent studies have suggested that if there are differences, they are very, very small. So it's really a discussion to have with your clinic. They may have a preference for a a certain type, long or short, for certain groups uh, of patients. And it's something you can discuss with them. But I'm sure most clinics also, if you express uh, a strong preference for one type of treatment, I'm sure that they would listen to your wishes. That's the show, guys. If Zoe's story resonated with you, um, go and check out her books. I know she's got one coming out this year about pregnancy after loss. So, so yeah, go check those out. Um, yes. Next week, we are talking to Alison Perry. Aha. The founder of Not Another Mummy blog. Yeah. Um, she's talking about her journey. Her journey. journey. Um, that was a really great chat and one one of our first um, lockdown interviews, wasn't it? 
Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lockdown. Um, and it was great. Zoom interviews. Um, so we had a lovely chat about that. And that only leaves us to say thank you. Thank you to Zoe. Thank you so much to Zoe. Thank you to Liz and Nick. Thank you to Professor Tim or uh, Tom Cruise. So nice. <laughs> Professor Tim, aka Tom Cruise. Um, thank you to Acast. Okay, guys. Have a more inspiring week than we had. <laughs> Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.